Hi, this is Ibari NX, and this is The Candid Frame. A lot is made about lighting and technique and equipment when it comes to portrait photography. But in the end, once the equipment stuff is out of the way, it's really about the rapport between two people that really makes the difference between a snapshot and a great portrait. And today's guest, Brian Smith, is a photographer who knows about that. He's photographed some of the most famous celebrities, politicians, performers, and his images are really unique in the way that they evoke a sense of the personality. And you get a sense of that person even within a single frame, which is not an easy thing to do. And it's uh, especially a challenge when you literally sometimes only have minutes with your subject. And I've always been very intrigued about stories behind some of the photographs. And we get into, into that in some of today's episode. But I think more importantly, if you're into portrait photography and you love, love photographing people, today's interview should give you a lot of food for thought. Well, Brian, welcome to The Candid Frame. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I've uh, I've liked your work for a while, so it was kind of neat to have a chance to to, to meet you in person uh, at Photoshop World. Though I didn't have as much time to sit down and talk to you as I would have liked, but I'm glad that we're having an opportunity now to sit down and, and chat a bit. Absolutely, likewise. It's um, fun when those things bring people together who we've kind of known each other from the the internet for a while now. But it's always nice to meet face to face. You were kind enough to send me a PDF of your latest book, which is Secrets of Great Portrait Photography. And uh, even though I haven't had a chance to read the whole thing, the, the portions of it that I did get to read, uh, I thought was a uh, really fascinating insight into not just celebrity portraiture, but just making good images of people, period. One of the v- more valuable insights that I, I really took away from it was when you talked about the importance of setting. A lot of people talk about you know, lighting and, and lens choice, which is certainly important. But one of the things that I found really fascinating is, is when you discuss finding a good location and finding a location that's appropriate to your subject. I'd like, I really like to start off there because I think that's, that's a point of discussion that really isn't discussed often enough. Well, that's great. Cause I think that's a perfect place to start a, a lot of the portraiture I do is environmental uh, portraits, uh, shot on location where the background often is that extra piece that gives you a little bit of clue about the subject. It's a way to combine the something about the place with the with the person and add a little bit of the the, the where with the who, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, that's one of the first pieces of advice I give to people is pay attention to what's going on in the background. Certainly, you know, sometimes you Less is more where you don't want the background to be distracting, but you can also add an extra element or a a layer to photographs by saying something about the person with the backdrop, whether it's a place you expect to find them that kind of gives clues to them or maybe that unexpected background that you come across that gives a a portrait of even a familiar face a little extra meaning. When you're thinking about a location, say you have a um, a subject, you've used shots in like bars or restaurants, and you're given an assignment to photograph someone. So what are you thinking about in terms of 
trying to find the ideal location. You talk about sort of having a record of possible locations sort of locked away in your, in your brain that might be good. But when you're thinking about what's perfect for a given subject, can you give us an example of, of a recent shoot where you were able to do it on location where you were given the flexibility of where you wanted to shoot them and why you ended up choosing that, that specific location? Well, I think probably a good example of that is I do a, a lot of, ma- of photography for a beer magazine called Draft. And so typically most of the shoots take place in a bar. And it's so that's kind of a given. But there, there's so much more in terms of picking picking the right bar for the subject. I know one shoot in particular we did of Randy Quaid that was for their first anniversary issue. Every Every single detail we were going through from whether – we were going to have hair and makeup for him, what he was going to wear. We went through all types of different decisions. It was only when we finally came to the idea of where we wanted to shoot him. I, you know, I felt very strongly that it needed to be kind of a classic Hollywood bar. And I'd done a little bit of background on him and read that, you know, when he first moved to Hollywood, he lived near Hollywood Boulevard and that kind of stuck with me. So the thing that struck me that would be the right spot for him was a classic Hollywood bar that's been around since, you know, the early days of Hollywood, Musso and Frank's Grill. And it just seemed to have the right feel for it. And it was the only thing out of this whole discussion that suddenly I I threw that out and immediately heard back from his people saying, he loves it. That's great. Everything's a go. Uh, We'll be there. And, I had no idea why I, you know, knew that he'd be familiar with it, but it was only when he got there on location and suddenly he seemed very, very relaxed and told me a wonderful story, which I had no clue of. Uh, I just got very lucky because he told me the story that when he moved, first moved to Hollywood off the success of Last Picture Show, he was a struggling actor, although, you know, at that point fairly celebrated and well-known because of his initial film. And he said he had he was so so low on cash that uh, he told himself he'd finally know that he had it made when he could go to Musso and Frank and order a steak anytime he wanted, and uh, you know I just happened on the perfect location for him. But it was the situation where we put him in that setting and it brought out a different sense of him. So I think sometimes sometimes you get lucky, but sometimes kind of do a little bit of research and and try to come up with a situation that's interesting. You know, one of the other things that I look for on those is I want to, you know, I want a background with a a little bit of atmosphere and and feel to it. So that's an instance also where if I can come up with like the red banquette booths and stuff, it immediately gives you the feel of kind of classic Hollywood. So I'm always looking for things like that. In in two of the shots that you have in the book, one is a picture of Peter Rummel, who is a, a CEO, and the other one is of Diego Luna. Mm-hmm. And in both of those situations, there was, um, in the case of uh, Rummel, they wanted you to photograph him in his office. And in the first, with the Diego, uh, Diego Luna, they wanted you to shoot him in front of a white seamless. And in both of those situations, you found alternatives that client probably wasn't expecting, but that you knew really would provide you a great shot. Can you talk about having to sort of 
divert from what the client or the or the subject is initially expecting and being able to sort of convince them to you know to make the leap with you to go to a different location where there's a potential for something better particularly with people whose time is very limited oh absolutely i, I you know there are two slightly different situations so i'll talk about each of them with diego luna the concept behind the shots was i was shooting a lot of people over the course of the day that were in town for a big benefit. So the magazine wanted everybody shot on white so they could kind of drop this feature together and it would be cohesive. That's not an unusual request. And actually that's what the first thing we did with Diego. But as I was setting up, the the setting was an old bank building in Miami that had this wonderful vault door. And I kind of knew that at some point in the course of the shoot, I wanted to bring one of the subjects over and, do a shot there. So I kind of filed that away for, you know, let's do this with somebody. And when Diego walked in, he walked in looking like he just walked off the cover of GQ magazine. So I knew he was perfect for this. And we shot what the magazine wanted first. We did the, we did the shots on white seamless. We're sure that we had all that stuff covered. And then once we were done, I told Diego, we got what the magazine wants, but Jeff, five minutes, I want to show you one other thing. And he said, sure, at that point, and walked over and I showed him this bank vault and he flipped for it and immediately was into the shoot. And I think we shot five or 10 minutes and I submitted to that to the magazine as well. And they flipped for it too. So I think that's a case that you do what you're asked to do, but you don't ever overlook the instances you can do something better. With Peter Rommel, it was kind of a different situation. A lot of times with magazines, if you're shooting a CEO, all they really care about is coming back with a eye-catching photograph. It's more of an instance there where you walk in and I think PR is very conditioned to thinking that you'll the, the place you'll want to do the shoot is the CEO's or president or chairman's office. And that's not always the most interesting thing. I mean, being part of it, it's you know, they're in there all the time, so it's not that interesting for them. And a lot of times visually, it doesn't say a lot about them or the company. And with Peter, I walked into the, the lobby and the lobby looked something like something out of 2001, A Space Odyssey, and immediately thought, this is where we're going to want to shoot. And at that point, I even called up to Pierre and I'm like, well, no, you need to see his office. And I went up there and I said, you know, I just said, this is fine, but you got to trust me on this. And as soon as they saw the images, uh, it it was something they hadn't thought of because they walked through that lobby every single day. But with a fresh eye, I walked in and it caught my eye and, you know, immediately everybody agreed that that was the shot. So as you said, you're very tight on time with these people. I could have set up in the office and then tried to convince them for, a, for another shot, but you don't always get two opportunities. Sometimes you got five minutes with the guy, so you... So you want to make sure that you've got the best situation in that time. And I think, I think he ended up really respecting the fact that I pushed to do the right shot at the start. So when, when you see something right off the bat, don't overlook the possibility that the first thing you walk in and see is going to be the best situation. Yeah. Well, it seems like that you sort of cut your teeth as a photographer, practicing more photojournalism and sports photography. And, I'm wondering how did those beginnings as a photographer end up informing what you do today in your portrait work? 
Yeah, I, I did start off the first 10 years shooting news and sports. I would, would also do portraiture in that time, but really I was a news and sports photographer. And I think that the two are different. It's kind of what I do now is, is making photographs, identifying things. Before I was taking photographs and capturing what was really happening. And, and the reason I say the two are different is one's really not better than the other. They're just different approaches to the photographic medium. And I, and I, I think doing both really benefits you because even now as a portrait photographer, who's kind of set out to capture and create things, I think going back to the roots where I was more of an observer and watched things that happened. There'll, there'll be little things that kind of happen in the midst of a shoot or times where if we're in an absolutely wonderful location and the subject is very fluid, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll try not to get too complex with my lighting where I may light a side of a room so the subject can move. And it's not a case of, you know, if, if they move three feet, I have to adjust the lights or check it. It's, you know, sometimes if you've got a subject who's very, who's going through things very naturally, whether it's a boxer or an actor or a dancer, it should give them a little bit of room to move. So if you're a photojournalist, I think a great thing to do is to push yourself in the other direction and have to create some time and, and direct a shoot and pull all the elements together. And if you're a portrait photographer used to directing everything, I think sometimes going out and capturing, going out and shoot street photography where, where you don't direct a thing, but you sit back and anticipate and try to think what's going to happen again is the being able to do both of those make whatever you're doing stronger. Well, you lead off the book with, with the idea of you went to show your, your work to someone and they suggested that you just go out and make portraits of strangers. And uh, you lead off the book with, you know, talking about making a portrait of, of 50 strangers. And I think that's really sort of an interesting approach because a lot of people struggle with when they, when they initially say that they want to take pictures of people, they struggle with finding enough subjects, you know, beyond their immediate family and friends. And, and I think that the idea of going out and photographing strangers adds uh, an interesting angle or, or a touch to it. Can you talk about what that helped you do and why you think it's such a good idea for other people who are interested in making pictures of people? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. From my point of view, I'd, I'd been shooting, while well, I was in high school, I was shooting for the, the local hometown newspaper and I was shooting sports for them. So, you know, at that point, you know, I thought this is pretty cool. Let, let, let's try to move up the food chain to the, a, a bigger newspaper. And it's absolutely the best advice I was ever given is, as the chief photographer there is flipping through my photographs and kind of shakes his head and says, all this shows me is you know how to shoot with a telephoto lens, get stuff in focus and capture a moment. It doesn't show anything about relating to people. So that's when he suggested that I go out and photograph strangers. And I think it's a very good exercise and one that I, you know, I still do when I'm traveling in a lot of ways because even in doing celebrity portrait photography, if it's somebody I haven't photographed before, this may be the first time I, I meet them. I may know a little bit about them, but it's in a way how I can get past that. They're listing on IMDb or the filmography that I'm thinking about and, and capture something about who they really are. And 
that's what the exercise teaches you. And it's, it's sometimes very easy to photograph your friends because you know what to talk to them about, but it's learning how to relate to a stranger, get them to open up that it's the sort of thing that I do again and again in my, my own work now. And uh, that's why I think that's an exercise that's my best piece of advice for people. You did a project called Art and Soul in which you photographed celebrities. And what's interesting about those photographs is, unlike your environmental portraits, they were done against a, a gray background, and you had very limited amounts of time with them. Can you talk about how that experience of in photographing strangers and what specifically you learned from those experiences that really helped you with with this project? Because one of the things that is fascinating for me in looking at these images, it's it's that they're all very distinctly different. And I thought that that was pretty remarkable, not only because these people are very high profile, but just the fact that you're able to really make very distinctive images with just a very simple background and what I assumed was oftentimes a very limited period of time to shoot them. Yeah, I, it was an invaluable experience. Art and Soul was a book project that I did with the support of Sony and in partnership with the Creative Coalition. It initially was going to be a three-day shoot in Beverly Hills where we, we hoped to photograph 60 actors during Oscar week and combine their portrait with their personal handwritten thoughts about what the arts meant to them. So kind of already had the, the concept there, which a lot of times that helps you as well, is a, a very simple concept that people can relate to. Celebrities are used to being pulled in 15 different ways where the, their studio has an agenda, their agent has an agenda, they might have an agenda, and the magazine might have yet another agenda. And God knows the photographer's always got an agenda. So I think it was very refreshing on this to really open up and ask less of them and give them an, an open canvas, as it were, where all I said was, this is the shoots about the arts. So within that range, think about that, but you can do whatever you want. And for our backdrops, at that point, I was really known for environmental portraits where particularly if I was shooting in Miami Beach, where I'm from, or the Caribbean, it's always a case that the clients want to see blue skies and, you know, maybe palm trees and a little bit of the fact that they're not being shot in New York City in the middle of winter. So, so much of what I did at that point, the backgrounds were really important. And I explained earlier why I put a lot of weight on those. But suddenly this, we were in a nine by 14 foot maids room. So it simplified a lot of aspects of the shoot. We needed to, we needed to set up in a small space and it, it actually ended up being really wonderful because rather than fight the small space, we actually took it a little bit far farther by completely wrapping the walls and everything in, in black. So that the, you know, the images were these kind of warm, cozy photographs. The stars came in, nobody else was around them. It was such a small space. It was myself, my wife, and our digital tech who actually was stuck in a in a bathroom because the place was so small the the adjoining bathroom so it's tiny little space but it worked out really great because they'd come from this big oscar suite where everything was swirling around them and suddenly they could just focus on being themselves there weren't a lot of eyes on them and really everything came down to interaction and so 
in a lot of cases, it's like I was familiar with the subjects, but as I was trying to research about them, I, I would look for something that they don't get asked about all the time. I wouldn't ask them about their hit show, but I might ask them about their first drama class or where they grew up. And I think sometimes taking people back to that, that point where they, it's not something they've talked about a thousand times already. You end up getting different emotions out of them. So there's a great learning experience from that where less is more clear out all the distractions. And suddenly it's just, a tight portrait about the star and it was all about whatever connection we could make in five minutes or 10 minutes or 15. So when you're asking them these questions and you're creating this rapport with them, are you doing this while you're shooting them? Are you doing this before you shoot? Because you have a little amount of time. So how are you sort of striking that balance between engaging them and then making the photographs? Well, I think, I think one of the, the interesting things about as a photographer, when you're asking questions, you, I think you want to approach it as the exact opposite of a talk show host. A talk show host, the worst thing you can possibly get are yes and no answers. They're looking for a short question and a long question. I'm looking for a short question and something that provokes thought, not that we're, we're stuck in kind of an interview. I want something that kind of brings them to the, the right state of mind. Think about something and, you know, like a lot of times we'll just kind of pull these things out of the air spontaneously just to move the, the shoots along. One of the things that I, I was kind of curious about when looking at your images is what your subjects do with their hands at times. Your pictures don't seem as if they're posed, that the gestures that they're coming up with are often very natural and, and come out of that sort of engagement that you're having with them. And I think it's particularly important because I, I think that a lot of photographers could have this very same scenario where they have the subject and they have a very simple background and all the images could look the same. They could be this sort of head and shoulder shot and there could be a uniformity. But when you look at this body of work, they're all very distinctive. And I thought a good point of discussion with was that it was talking about what people are doing with their hands. Cause oftentimes it's a very difficult thing to, to work with when you're making a portrait of someone. Well, I think people ask me a lot about, you know, what do you do for poses? What do you do to put people in situations? And I'm, I'm a firm believer to always begin with what's natural for the person. And then if we need to modify it, I do it from there. So in, in the instance of hands, it's, I never really gesture like I want your hand in such and such a position. Uh, if I want hands in a photograph, I'll, that's about as detailed as I'll be is ask them, you know, could we, could we bring a hand up and get at that in the shot? Because I want to see what they fall into naturally because a lot of times it's something I would never think of, but it's natural for them. Now, if they then bring the hand in a position where I think they could move it a little bit differently, I may ask them to change or modify it a bit, but I want to see what they do initially. And maybe we go through a few things and when suddenly they strike something that's perfect, then I'll ask them to slow down and stay like that. Because I think sometimes people go through, particularly if you're shooting models, they go through a lot of poses very, very quickly. And as a photographer, sometimes sitting back and letting them do their thing till they hit something that you want, want to really concentrate on. And then just saying, that's perfect. Let's do a few like that. And then you do at that point, you do subtle variations. Mm -hmm. 
There's so much um, at stake for some of the shots that you have. I mean, you have a client, be it a magazine, that's hiring you to, to, to make a shot. And they may have a concept in mind or they may be leaving it up to you to decide. But what leads up to a, a portrait session, particularly when you know that the, the amount of time that you're going to have with people is fairly limited? And you, you talk about meeting a subject and having having to sort of convince them to go with your idea. So what's sort of the preparation that you have to go into to sort of increase the chances that the subject will buy into that and, and allow you to make the image that you've imagined? And if that doesn't fly, how much consideration do you have to have in, with respect to backup ideas? Well, I think, I think it's always good to go in with an idea of what you want to accomplish but I think a lot of times it's just as important to feel comfortable that if all these ideas that you've thought about for days, weeks, or sometimes months completely fall flat, you've got to be able to think very quickly on your feet and just throw out the script and go with something that actually does work. In terms of selling your ideas, I always I always find that it's so much easier to, to sell them on a on set as opposed to in a call before typically a lot of the times in the the calls before I'm, I'm speaking through an intermediary, whether it's their agent or manager or the, someone from the studio and things don't often don't get communicated properly. Um, it's also, you know, often their publicist will nix an idea that if I explain it to the star, they absolutely love it. So a, a lot of times is just being ready to, convince them on the scene what I want to do and why I want to do it. It's kind of, kind of salesmanship almost from, uh, if you, if you think of one of my favorite lines from Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross, always be closing, you know, <laughs> no, sell your ideas. You did a series on burlesque and it was a, a fascinating series of portraits. Tell us about the idea behind that. Why did that, become such an interest for you photographically and what were some of the challenges in making that happen? Well, it was a pivotal shoot in my career because shortly after I left, I'd spent 10, ten years as a newspaper photographer. And during that time I was shooting for a lot of magazines. So I was shooting for people like Rolling Stone, but I was really doing more photojournalistic stories for them with, you know, occasional portraiture. And I, I wanted to get more into shooting celebrity portraits. And that's one of those catch 22s that, you can't just call up Julia Roberts and say you want to do pictures for your portfolio. It's just not going to happen. So you've got to find some other way to show people that you can do the type of work. And I was, I remember I was watching CNN one day and a very short piece came on, on a wonderful woman named Dixie Evans. She was known as the Marilyn Monroe of burlesque and was, was watching this and just fascinating with this, fascinated with this amazing woman and kind of thought to my head, it's like, that's, that's the type of shoot that I wish I could get. It's like, I wish somebody would give me that type of a shot. And then, you know, it kind of struck me that, okay, I can sit around and whine that I don't get those type of shots or I can just take the initiative. Unlike Julia Roberts, Dixie was somebody I could actually call up. So I called her, explained who I was. Uh, She was delighted to do a shoot. So the next time I was out in California, we made a side trip out to, she lived about two and a half hours out in the desert. So my wife and I made a 
side trip out there to photograph Dixie. And it was an absolutely amazing afternoon that uh, at the end of the day, we had some wonderful photographs of a wonderful lady and we had some great times together and great laughs. And it's one of those things you can't imagine possibly getting better till we were packing our stuff up. And Dixie turns to us and said, oh, it's really too bad that came now instead of a couple months when all my friends are here. Kind of paused for a second and looked at her and said, your friends? And she explained that she runs a reunion of burlesque and that two months later, a, a bunch of the other dancers were coming out to, to get together and relive the old times and, and dance again on stage. And I knew right then and there that uh, this good day just got a lot better. That so is awesome. We, we proceeded to uh, immediately book a, a flight back a couple months later and continued the project and photographed a lot of the legends. And one, one of the great things about it is, as well is that this opened doors for me to show what I could show editors, what I could do photographing performers, obviously not actors and actresses, but people along the same line. So it, it opened up, uh, doors for me to get into celebrity portraiture, but it also was a case of, you know, at that, at that point, it seemed to be kind of a, a dying piece of Americana that, uh, would be sad, sad to watch it fade away, um, with, without giving these women a, another 15 minutes of fame. I think fame is one of those odd things that so often gets heaped upon the people that are often featured in tabloids and probably not nearly as deserving of it that I think sometimes when you can spread that spotlight around to people much more meritorious of another time in the spotlight, I just, I just love having the opportunity to, to showcase them. So it's a project that we did early on. We got a, a lot of interest out of it and, uh, you know, then I guess over the years, it's like we'd kind of photographed a lot of the people coming to the reunions and I'd gotten busy and kind of forgotten about it. And then a few years ago, my wife and I were came across a, an announcement that this burlesque Hall of Fame reunion had was moving to Las Vegas. And, and now suddenly they were kind of hold it on stage in Las Vegas. So made a few phone calls through tracked Dixie down, told them I wanted to come back. Um, you know, she immediately gave me uh, VIP access to shoot whatever I wanted. And I decided for this to start doing portraits backstage, which is kind of a different situation that no longer was out in the desert. It was on stage in Vegas. And we started doing portraits in a way very similar to the Art and Soul project where I had five, 10 minutes with the dancers either right before they went on stage or right after they came out and we were in again such a small area that the the lighting had been constant because there was no there was no room to move a thing so it really was all about the connection that we formed and bringing out their personality and and pose and gesture and just showing who they were in those five minutes so that's one of the reasons why i really decided to kick the the book off with a chapter on connecting with your subject because I think it's so much more important than where you place the light. Uh, you know, I ended up placing the light on the, uh, 
the right on a lot of these because the doorway was on the left. If the doorway was on the right, I probably would have placed the, the light on the left. It's not, that's not the important part of the shoot. The important part of the shoot is bringing out and making the subject's personality show and making them feel like they're the biggest star on the planet for the five or 10 minutes you've got them. When, when you first had this, this initial body of work, you, you had mentioned that you wanted to do more of that kind of work. So when you had those images, h- how did you get it out to people and, and make them aware of it? Did you send out a query to magazines that you had worked with in the past and told them about the body of work? Did you put together a promo revolving around it? And if so, who did you target when you uh, sent them out? Well, I think like the old saying goes, um, don't tell, show. You can talk about your images, but I think it's much more important for people to actually see them. So I put together a very simple accordion-style promo that featured five of the images and you know, kind of opened up. And because it was a accordion-style, it it folded down to like a you know very tiny. I think it was roughly four by five size, and it was smaller than the promos most people get in the mail. And I think that's part of why a lot of people bothered to open it up because it didn't look like some big, massive promo for a photographer. It looked more like an invitation. Editors opened this up and I, of course, sent it to everyone who I worked with. But I also sat down and made a list of the magazines that I hope to work for in the future and made a trip to the bookstore, looked down the masthead for everybody from the director of photography down to the assistant to the associate to the assistant photo editor and, you know, really covered all the bases because obviously you want to be nice to the people at the top, but as you're starting out, a a lot of the times the director of photography is the one who assigns covers. So it's that associate photo editor who ends up giving your first break. A lot of those people that were associate photo editors when I started this out are director of photography somewhere else. So I think, you know, reaching out, to everyone with the work and keeping it very simple and, and focused. I think a, a lot of times a, a body of work or a campaign where people can see multiple images, it gives them more the idea of what you could do on an actual shoot. Because a lot of times if I go out and shoot there, they may end up, I may end up with one image in print, but I've got to produce five situations out of with multiple options so that the photo editor can show that and come up with the the best image to suit the story and give them enough extra images in case they want something for the table of contents or jump or, you know, it suddenly boils into, I end up with multiple pages. I think show images that are related are a great way to do that. The initial reaction to the promo, you said you said that it created some opportunities for you, but I'm wondering if did the promo result in you know in immediate work opportunities, or was it rather that you got on people's radar that at some point it just opened up the door for communication between you and the photo editor that eventually led to an opportunity? How would you how would you assess the sort of the success of that promo in that respect? Well, I think the best promotions that you do have both effects. I think I think the one thing that I would say to a lot of photographers is don't get discouraged if suddenly the sea doesn't open up and, and the, the heavens start shining down on you because a lot of these things take time. I think sometimes it's like one promo gets you on their, rom- 
on their radar and then they see something else about you and you want to kind of put out a consistent vision and realize that it's not going to change overnight. This was an instance where almost immediately I got shoots out of it. I had a call within a week from Mary Dunn of Entertainment Weekly and I'd, I'd already shot for Entertainment Weekly, but but she saw this as something different from what I'd done before. And within a week, she called me to shoot Carol Channing. So that's the immediate payoff. And it led to other shoots where magazines wanted celebrities shot in a very similar type of a thing where they wanted a big, big, bold colors on an environment. So sometimes people wondered, like, how do you relate burlesque to celebrity portraiture and the way he related is really to approach the style they could see that i could work with these people and that resulted in jobs but i think one of the the even better things that comes out of a successful promo is if it pays off years later and i remember one case in particular where a photo editor from sports illustrated called me up almost a decade after we did this shoot with the, the first thing you want to hear as a photographer, best thing you can hear as a photographer is somebody who says, I've had your promo on my desk for 10 years and I've got a shoot that's just perfect for you. I mean, as, as photographers, um, we all want to hear that something they're thinking that this is a shot that's perfect for us. So it was based on the subject matter on this and it actually was a complete change of pace from the celebrity work was um, Sports Illustrated calling to see if I would do a shoot for them of nudist golf. And, you know, that's probably the only way that conversation got any better than <laughs> this shoot that's perfect for you is when I heard the words nudist golf. So, you know, based on these burlesque images, a decade later, I was sent out to photograph nudist golfers for Sports Illustrated. So, I think that's kind of you know, sort of the, you know, the short-term payoff, but also the, the, the long tail benefit that you get from doing projects that are dear to your heart. And I think, I think if you're only showing the work that you're assigned, if you're loving everything that you're doing, that's great. But if you want to move your career in a different direction, but are only showing jobs that aren't quite what you want to do, People have no idea visually what what you can do. So it's very important to go out and shoot what you love to shoot. And ultimately, that's that's how you end up getting it assigned. Yeah. Well, where are you hoping to go with your career now? Because a lot of people would see what you're doing now and go, man, that's where I want to be. But you're there already. So I think photographers are always aspiring for more. So when you think about the kind of work that you would like to be doing, not so much where you would want your career to be, but in terms of the images you'd like to be making, what kind of thought have you given to that? What would you, what kind of work would you really like to be doing? Well, I think as a photographer, um, it, the worst, the worst thing you can ever feel as a photographer is that you've arrived. And I, I always view myself as one bad shoot away from asking people what, what size latte they want. So, I think I think having insecurity as a photographer and, and always always remembering that uh, you're only as good as your next image is 
a very important part of uh, staying in this business. I think it's I think it's very important to you know always continue to evolve, come up with the next thing. I, I think you want it to be true to your true to your own voice, but I, I think looking for new ways to to stretch yourself, uh, new approaches to photography, kind of come kind of within the way that you see things, but anything you can do to, you know, kind of keep up with your interpretation of trends. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean copying work that's out there, but, but it's, it means evolving, you know, looking, looking at what you can do this year that you didn't do last year, looking for a new subject matter that you can shoot that might push you or, or cause you to lift your game a little bit. I think, you don't want to be, ever become complacent in this where you're shooting the same thing again and again. You want, you know, just like I was talking about the, those early bits of advice to go out and photograph strangers that I hadn't done. You always want to find things that, that push you to look at things from a new direction. So that's my uh, career goal throughout the rest of my lifetime is to, to always strive for something new and different and come up with something interesting and along the way I'm, I'm lucky as a, as a portrait photographer is to experience and meet new people from all walks of life. And, you know, so that, that's the added, added benefit of working with people is you learn a lot from your subjects. Well, my last question that I always ask is that I ask my guests to recommend another photographer and it can be someone that you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? I'll go with the, uh, the long admired um, on that because one of the people that I'm actually, who I mentioned in the forward to my book is w when I was just starting off, I was in high school. I was interested in photography. There were great newspapers in the state that I would see a lot of work, but I, I wanted to get more of a feel for commercial photographers and magazine photographers out there. And the very first photo book that I picked up was a book on by Elliot Erwitt on the, the personal experience. And it was the first thing that really showed me a photographer's point of view and vantage point on photography. And it was looking at those images and, and seeing how he could capture something humorous out of day-to-day -day situations and a lot of times sort of share a smile with the, the people who came across his photographs that was really the book that, that changed things for me. So Elliot's always been one of my favorite photographers. I felt um, very lucky to, to meet Elliot and I was able to include Elliot in art and soul as the, the final portrait and, uh, mention him in the introduction and in the new book secrets of great portrait photography, because for 30 some years now, uh, Elliot's always been somebody who I've looked up to respected. And, uh, if people are not familiar with his work, it's, it's a breathtaking collection, uh, throughout a, a career of, of fantastic imagery. So, and, and I think it's, I think it's great that he can not only capture big moments and big stars like uh, Marilyn Monroe and seven year itch, but he can walk out and 
outside his door uh, with a with a camera and come back with with a hilarious photograph of just observing daily life. So there's kind of an instance of a photographer who's able to to both blend creating and directing images, but also observing great things that happen. Yeah, he's certainly a photographer's photographer. Um, he's, he's just amazing, especially the diversity of his work, as, as you mentioned. But where do people go to find out more about you and everything that you're doing? Um, my website's briansmith.com, blogs, briansmith.com uh, slash blog. Um, I'm on Twitter at uh, Brian Smith Photo. And uh, you know, on the website and blog, we have, we have information about all, all the books and projects that I'm working on as well. Well, Brian, thank you again for appearing on the show. And I look forward to the next opportunity that we have to talk. It was a pleasure. Hopefully we'll run into each other face to face again soon. The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod. And this is Ibadian X, and this is The Candid Frame.